0: My name is Alex Williams, founder of the Newstack, and you're listening to the Newstack Analyst Podcast, a show about application, development, and management at scale. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Newstack Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Richard McManus. Today, we're talking about serverless and data. In the serverless paradigm, the idea is to abstract away the backend so that developers don't need to deal with it. And that's all well and good when it comes to servers and complex infrastructure like Kubernetes. But up till now, database systems haven't typically been a part of the serverless playbook. The assumption has been that developers will build their serverless app and choose a separate database system to connect to it. Be that a traditional relational database and no SQL system, or even a database as a service solution like Amazon Aurora or MongoDB Atlas. But the popularity of the serverless trend has prompted further innovation in the data market. My two guests today are here to talk about the latest developments in regards to data in the serverless space. Evan Weaver is CTO of Fauna, which is building a data API for serverless apps so that developers don't even need to touch a database system. And Greg McKean is a product manager at Cloudflare, which runs a serverless platform called Cloudflare Workers. Welcome, Evan and Greg.
1: Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard.
0: Yeah, so it's great to have you guys here. So Evan, tell us a little bit about Fauna's data API. Why is it better than a more traditional database system for the serverless space?
1: So when, when we've been building at Fauna for, for some time now is really, you know, kind of a, a dream that developers have had for a long time. That's, you know, in the 90s, it was, it was called utility computing. Today, it's called serverless. The idea that you can consume your infrastructure without having to do any operational work. And what we've done with Fauna is take a lot of the primitives of a traditional database, like the RDBMS, or like, like Postgres or something like that and translate them into a cloud, like a, a web native, secure, ubiquitous global API. So the people building apps, especially apps that talk directly to APIs from the client side can, you know, Get their job done without having to become DevOps engineers.
0: Excellent, and Greg, can you tell us about uh, Cloudflare Workers and and how it deals with data currently?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Cloudflare actually just celebrated our birthday week; we just turned ten, and Workers launched about three years ago. Uh, is what we really saw as you know the next evolution of a serverless platform. We made a pretty critical decision early on to run on V8 isolates rather than on top of containers. Uh, that's the same V8 that you know powers Chrome, the web browser you're using right now. And so workers also implement a lot of the same APIs you're used to from a browser environment. Uh, And this has given us some critical advantages, right? Uh, Isolates run with less overhead than containers. So we tend to be cheaper and more performant than other uh, providers. Uh, And also, you know, we're able to deploy your code out globally across all of Cloudflare's 200 points of presence. So it's really a service platform that starts from global. And yeah, that's where we're really excited about the platform where it's going.
0: So Evan, how is Fauna's approach different to databases of service products like Amazon Aurora and MongoDB Atlas?
1: So the, these these other databases, you know, data, especially operational data, like people's mission-critical business data, it's always the last thing to change when the development stack is changing. And these, these other databases are still working off, you know, really the the metaphor of a, a physical computer. You know, originally we had databases that were on-prem shoved in a closet somewhere. You know, then you got leased colocation centers. You didn't have to do your own net ops. Then you got managed cloud where someone, you know, installs the database and gives you a dashboard to tune and configure it. But that's kind of the the end of the line as far as the cloud is concerned so far like the, these these companies like you mentioned they've taken traditional open source or proprietary on-prem software and lifted it and shifted it into virtualized and containerized environments and that saves you you know the heavy lifting sometimes in a literal sense of getting the database installed but it doesn't give you any flexibility you still have to think about capacity you still have to think about where your data lives in the world and the consistency model for you know replicating from one site to another, you still have to think about how to secure it by writing some other software that runs server side. So they've taken some of the burden off the table, but they haven't they haven't transformatively solved the problem the way serverless has for. Areas of the stack that are higher up. So at the end of the day, it comes down to productivity. You know, if if you still have to think about these these undifferentiated parts of your stack where you don't really add value, you're not investing in your specific product, it, it slows down your your product velocity.
0: Uh, Cloudflare offers something called Workers KV, uh, which is described as a global, low latency key-value data store. Is that a system comparable to to Redis and you know NoSQL systems like that?
2: I wouldn't say it's directly comparable to Redis necessarily. Um, so you know, we talked about how Cloudflare, you know, as compared to some other service providers, we're running your code in two hundred different data centers all at the same time, right? And wherever a request comes in, that's where we're going to answer it from. And you know, just like what Evan was talking about, this presents a pretty incredible problem for state management, right? You have two hundred different. Nodes all which could be trying to access state at the same time. So sort of the first thing we built um, was Workers KV, which is really designed to provide you low latency read access globally. It's eventually consistent though. Uh, is, the, is the counterpoint there? I would say something. It's, it's a bit comparable to Redis. We also allow developers to specifically access our cache API from a given point of presence, uh, and that's probably more comparable to Redis itself, where you know you're able to put a value into Cloudflare's cache and then access it back from the same local point of presence. KV is sort of that idea taken globally right where we'll now introduce eventual consistency we'll push those values out to all of the points of presence over
0: time okay so so just um so i can understand what cloudflare workers does a little bit more can your customers plug into basically any database at the moment or i mean how, how does the how does it work if a customer needs a database for their application
2: yeah, so we don't actually support TCP connections um, out, coming out of the uh, worker's environment today. Uh, it's a bit of a pain point for us that we're working on. Um, so you can talk over to FaunaDB, for example, speaks HTTP, right? Because it's used to using the web browser as a client. There are other database connectors out there that speak HTTP as well. And that's really where workers can fit in great. So you can go speak to an external database service um, as long as it speaks HTTP. Okay,
0: so uh, Evan, you've got an interesting theory about where application development is headed. In the 2020s, you saw- Say that we'll see what you call a client serverless model emerge. Can you explain what this is and particularly how it impacts how applications store and use data?
1: Yeah, so one of, one of the trends we noticed, because we had fallen out, we were early in the serverless space before, you know there was really critical mass in, in you know, the, the community among other vendors. What, what we noticed was that people had started building apps with with, you know, a bunch of technologies that were reminiscent in some ways of the way they built apps in the 90s. You know, in the 90s, you had you know your SQL server you know, racked somewhere in a back room in a single physical building and people had their desktop PCs and they were on 10 megabit ethernet and they'd run their little access app and it would talk directly to that database. You know, there was no application server, there was just the, the storage interfaces and then all the business logic ran on client devices. We went through, you know, almost 15 or 20 years of three-tier server-side web architecture, then where, you know, things like LAMP and Rails, you ran all your business logic adjacent to the database and the clients became dumb presentation devices, just rendering HTML. You know, that kind of was a was a great escape hatch for a while because that meant we didn't have to actually build distributed systems to to build web apps because everything was co-located in a single physical data center. But now, you know, we have smart clients again. We have mobile phones, we have browsers, we have laptops, we have ubiquitous LTE and, and other, you know, and Wi-Fi. We have we have other, you know, you know, devices on the edge, whether it's for IoT or manufacturing or other purposes. And and they're you know, they have real computing power and people want to run their applications on those devices and not intermediate them with with additional additional technology they have to manage and that, that means that we're back to building things in a client server way we have these smart clients that call apis you know twilio stripe auth zero fauna that kind of thing and do their application logic and their composition on the client device, but it's now global. So that means all the a- APIs have to be global, elastic, scalable, you know, utility priced. And, th- and that's the real difference between client server and client serverless. But you know, the, the technologies we see here are things like React.js, GraphQL, Swift, the Android stack, things like workers, which are running on the edge instead of in, you know, a small number of hyperscale data centers. And you know, they're all interacting through apis composing logic building dynamic applications with a lot less overhead and a lot faster time to market than, than people were doing in the traditional three-tier stack
0: great and and so greg where does workers kind of fit into that uh even briefly mentioned it there but how, how do you sort of see the client serverless paradigm
2: Yeah, so I think when you're talking about client serverless, what you're really talking about is where you're doing the actual coordination of state, right? Does that mean the browser is sitting there and actually making these API calls for you and then assembling the data back together on the client device? Or maybe you're doing that, you know, somewhere in the middle. And so I I think where workers fits in is, you know, there's a large number of use cases, you know, static sites, the whole JAMstack movement where you actually do want to do that on the end device. I think workers can be just another client like that, right? Not to extend the analogy of it already looking like a browser um, to a lot of devices. But we sort of give you this middle ground between, you know, the browser and a traditional server that gives you the best of both worlds. You know, the first piece being around developer experience, you know, the workers platform runs JavaScript. So it's familiar, but it also can run, you know, Python, PHP, Kotlin, can even run Fortran, it can run Wasm. Um, So you can run whatever code you need to, not just JavaScript, like if you're in the browser. And it also, workers sits within your application's trust domain, right? So a browser's trustless. Uh, Workers, you know, you can store secrets there. You can do authentication to, you know, perhaps legacy services. And you can do even cooler things, right? You know, the workers runtime knows where a request a country is actually coming in from. So you could do something, you know, to actually choose the data or the API you're allowed to call based on GDPR or something like that. And a request running in the browser wouldn't really give the developer that level of control over the workload. Uh, and the last piece is performance, right? So for parallel jobs, or if you want to do, you know, or bandwidth-heavy workloads, like let's say you wanted to resize an image, uh, it wouldn't make sense to send the whole image down to the browser, have the browser do the resizing of that image. And because of the fact that, you know, we can cache and share the results of that computation across, you know, you're able to do it once and then send it to every client that actually needs it. So you'll see better performance than if a user was actually making a request from the browser on their uh, on their own, but really, you can think of the workers runtime as you know another client for these APIs, right? The workers runtime could be another you know client that's calling out to Fauna to go get data from that API. It's just sort of where you're centering those requests and what your coordination point is.
0: Okay, so um, uh, Evan, uh, I just wondered if you, is there a, a customer of, of Fauna's that uh, you think would you know kind of illustrate this new paradigm you know really well, just so that people can get their heads around around this a bit more.
1: Yeah, one customer we have who's built their entire application on Fauna is is ShiftX. They have a they have a SaaS product which is a business processing a business process modeling tool. Not a market I know very much about, but they they you know they were familiar with the, you know, the Amazon stack in particular. They built three tier applications at their at their previous jobs and for consulting purposes. But they they picked up the new stack early because it was more productive for them. You know, they can do all their work in, in the browser, principally, with, with JavaScript, composing APIs, including Fauna, and you know, taking advantage of the web-native security model, and in particular, the, t- the tenancy so they can isolate their own customers from each other without having to do any operational work at all, deal with you know provisioning databases, scaling them, monitoring them beyond you know, whether their application is functional. We, we also see... And we, we, we see a lot of SaaS products similar to that at different sizes of scale. Um, we, have some, we have some large customers as well as quite a few small ones and, and mid-sized ones. And we also see a lot of augmentations of existing legacy apps with legacy data infrastructure where people just don't want to deal with, you know, altering tables to change the schema, trying to rack additional replicas and think about the consistency model, but they need to deliver a more modern performant client focused experience. So an example of that is Hannon Hill, which is a CMS vendor in the the education market. And they, you know, they, they have a legacy database where kind of the the posts, so to speak live. you know, CMS ultimately is, you know, a single, a single site database behind a CDN. And that lets you do stuff kind of similar to workers KV. It lets you do a lot of read only work, but not transactional work. And what they wanted to do was add personalization and more user specific features. So instead of trying to replicate their existing relational database across the world and deal with all of that overhead and that cost, they now sync some of the data into Fauna so they can access it globally and, ubiquity, uh, globally and ubiquitously in a client serverless way.
0: I want to talk a little bit about where serverless is heading now. Um, Stateful serverless is um, a recent development in this space. I recently profiled CloudState, which is uh, like Ben's new open source project uh, for this. Um, and Greg, I noticed that Cloudflare recently announced durable objects for workers, uh, which is your approach to uh, state for serverless. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, this and and why you created this product?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so this sort of builds off of what Evan was talking about, you know, it's, you know, having a, an on-prem legacy relational database and trying to replicate that data out globally. Um, so whenever you're globally distributing data, you're really talking about a coordination problem, right? Coordinating access across. And one way this has been typically solved is, you know, with sharding, where I'll take my database, I'll split it up into multiple data ranges, and then a specific region is responsible for some set of that data. Um, but we kind of tried to take a unique approach here, and we said, okay, well, how can we provide developers access to really coordination in a way that will be intuitive and familiar to them. And like how, like, how do they tell us, you know, what critical data and functions are grouped together in their applications? And they do, right? So they do this all the time. So we looked at the actor model for passing messages and mutating state in Erlang, which is actually quite similar to what we ended up building. Um, but we saw, you know, the name actors, uh, kind of ass- people associated with being ephemeral due to the Erlang notion of, you know, just letting things crash. So we took an analogy from object-oriented programming instead and went with the name durable objects. Uh, so the idea here is that you have a developer that will define a class which describes a particular component under your application and how it coordinates. Um, So it has methods, it can access storage, it could call external services. It's just like a normal class. And so in a chat application, for example, that component, it might be a chat room in an online gaming matchmaking service. That might be a match. Um, And then a developer creates a named instance of that class, which is what we refer to as a durable object. And we guarantee, you know, on the normal workers runtime, that could be running in 200 data centers at once. Here, though, we're guaranteeing that this is globally unique. There's only one in the world for a given And so when any of your workers says, hey, you know, give me the chat room with the ID, the new stack, they get routed to the same durable object that runs in one Cloudflare point of presence somewhere in the world. Um, And then those objects get access to transactional serializable key value store. Um, and because we run the network, we can migrate that durable object to live close to where the requests are actually coming in and reduce latency uh, for accessing those objects. And a key piece there is, you know, yes, the durable object gets access to a key value store, but this is really about providing a coordination point right, to ensure that all of those chat requests go to a specific point and then can be processed in some order. Uh, so we, we launched back on Monday at the start of birthday week uh, for Cloudflare, and we've already seen really strong demand Uh, for developers who want to build state on top of this, right? So you could build CRDTs on top of this. We've heard requests about building, you know, a graph database on top of this. And so we're really interested in providing that low-level primitive to coordinate state. What really gets powerful uh, is when you can add it to an existing application. So let's say, you know, I run a document editor today and I have some on-premise legacy API, but it's not collaborative. If I were to sort of spin up a durable object in front of it, I can ensure that all my requests met at that durable object. They could modify memory, a state in memory, and actually make the changes, return them back to the other clients. And then the durable object could call any storage API, right? It could call out to, it could use, you know, the durable object storage API, it could call out to your legacy API and persist the changes there. Um, but I sort of get out of the box coordination and now I have live editing in my legacy application without really making too many changes. So that's what we're really excited about is sort of both the intermediate step of, you know know. know now you can access coordination on the web really easily and you know the longer term longer term piece as well
0: great and um evan how does fauna coordinate state at the moment and and what uh, is uh, how do you sort of see this developing in in future
1: so fauna uses a a transaction algorithm called calvin we've uh, optimized you know evolution or or next generation version version of this this protocol that came out of daniel body who's one of our advisors uh, his lab at yale And what what Calvin does is give you the lowest possible latency profile for consistent, strictly serialized transactions and for serializable reads at global scale. And that's why we chose it, even though, you know, when the when the algorithm was originally published, you know, other vendors in the space were, were still chasing what Google was doing with Spanner. But that's more that's more adapted to kind of taking your traditional RDBMS, your SQL database, and scaling it out as opposed to really building for this, this ubiquitous data API world where no, no place in the world has a, a privileged view of the data set, everyone gets a low latency, strongly consistent experience and, and fauna today runs on top of aws and gcp it spans multiple data centers around the globe um, and we'll be adding more more underlying infrastructure providers over time but i think you know it, it differs from durable objects in that you know it's, it's similar to the way you know if you go back to the 90s like you have your relational database and you have your san you know you can store any blob you please on the SAN, but if you went like a a structured way for concurrent access to keep it keep it durable and highly available over time you still need to put that in your relational database so we we see these technologies all all being complementary where for like the word processing example you would store sort of the the short-term state of the collaborative document in the durable object and potentially synchronize the long-term state, make it searchable, make it indexed, make it available for for public consumption and not just editing in a database like Fauna over a serverless API.
0: Great, I got you. So, Greg, you used to work for MongoDB. So I wanted uh, to get your opinion on NoSQL database systems. They've had a lot of take up, obviously, in, in the last 10 years or so in the cloud native era. Um, but how do you see them faring, you know, going forward in the serverless world when everything is just getting more and more abstracted? You know, with products like Fauna, for example.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's still space for NoSQL databases, right? I think you, you know, it feels like kind of all the different spaces are converging. So I think you know, I know a lot of Mongo's plans, a lot of what they're working on, you know, with MongoDB Realm, you know, to try and run on client devices. Um, and to sort of handle merging state for many devices at once, that's that's been their approach uh, is to kind of use a CRDT type approach to, to merge state together. Um, but I think we, everyone sees the world headed in the same direction, right? Everyone sees this you know globally distributed world where clients are becoming more important, um, and I think that's why Evan and Fauna's vision, you know, for client serverless. Makes a lot of sense, right? It's where everything's headed, um, and I think people see that. Um, that said, I think you're you know you're still going to see enterprises that want to move off of you know legacy relational technology, and they want to move to a NoSQL data store, and I, I think there's value in that as well. So, yeah, a lot of opportunity in this space. I think the the data space is growing at a crazy rate, and plenty of potential for for a lot of different approaches
1: to be clear fauna is NoSQL too but the difference from sort of the last generation of NoSQL databases like mongo and cassandra in particular is that fauna is still fully transactional and relational so you can model your data in a fully normalized way and you know do consistent transactions on it instead of importing those concerns into the application layer certainly the more you know instances of your application you have running on client devices or on the edge you yeah, the more that becomes a problem.
0: So if you if you look at um, kind of the, the rankings of um, databases, you know, uh, you've got relational systems from the likes of Oracle or Microsoft. They're still incredibly popular and, um, you know, uh, very well used. Their, their growth rate has been kind of flat over the last 10 years. But, you know, where do you see those types of systems going in, in, in this kind of era where everything is getting abstracted? Do you think you know, uh, relational databases will have to fundamentally change over the next, you know, decade or so, or will they just keep doing what they've been doing for 20, 30
1: years? So databases never really change, you know, operational database is the foundation of your house. Once the house is built, you know, you're not going to swap it out, even if you know it has cracks and leaks and that kind of thing, you'll just keep patching it. So what we see, especially from, you know, these more traditional vendors is exactly that you know, a continual stream of incremental patches and improvements over the the, the the legacy technology, but no real fundamental change. Like, you know, Dynamo has paid pay by request now. Is it serverless? I guess, because it scales up and down, but it doesn't give you that global, seamless, ubiquitous experience. You have to intermediate it with a bunch of other server-side stuff like Gateway, you know. Postgres has added JSON support for documents. It works, but it doesn't get you out of operating Postgres or thinking about things and what's fundamentally a, you know a, a SQL specific model. So I, I think to your to your to your point before, you know their, their growth will taper off, but there'll be a steady stream of you know customer demand from all those existing running applications and it's not until those products and applications really get replaced which is a decades long process that you see people choosing the new stack, which includes a new database. And that's how Mongo got, got their start too. You know, People building apps with Node chose Mongo. There weren't many people porting from ex- like MySQL, for example, to Mongo. But if you were productive by using the node stack with Mongo, then you stuck with it long-term.
2: I think that's a great point. And I think it's, you know, the revolution takes time, right? So it's once your competitors start, you know, building a globally distributed application and now you need a globally distributed application, you know, you start to look at what options are out there. But as long as it's kind of everyone's running on, I think back to like, 2005, 2006, when it was just common for websites to go down and have outages, right? Like, and frequently because of databases, right? And a lot of that has kind of gone away, but it's been a slow road, right, to get there. It's been a slow road to get to a place where, you know, operating your databases, it's not supposed to take up all of your time. And so it just takes some time.
1: Part of the part of the innovation of the managed cloud providers is exactly that. It's t- taking over some of that operational work to keep the database running but it doesn't fundamentally change the the developer experience of interacting with the database it just means someone else is you know applying band-aids in a more scalable way
0: excellent well it's been a great discussion guys so thank you so much for joining the podcast today my guests today were evan weaver from fauna and greg mckeon from cloudflare uh, if listeners have any thoughts about data in the serverless era then you can hit us up on twitter at the new stack and so that's a wrap for the show. So we'll catch you next time on the New Stack Analysts. Listen to more episodes of the New Stack Analysts at the newstack.io forward slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.